If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. At IKEA, your dream home is a blue bag away. No matter the size of your space or budget, we've got everything you need to turn your dreams into reality. And now with new lower prices on hundreds of our most popular products, bringing the dream home is even easier. Like the gray strandum wing chair, was $369, now $299. And the IKEA Plus 365 nine-piece cookware set was $129.99, now $89.99. And hundreds more. Shop new lower prices at ikea-usa.com today. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At participating McDonald's. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Women went marching on the streets and did things like went up to saloon keepers and said, if you close this saloon, we promise you that all the women in this town will buy fish from you if you become a fishmonger instead. That was Sarah Junant describing one of the stories she's uncovered in the making of her BBC Radio 4 series, When Greeks Flew Kites. You're listening to the History Extra podcast from BBC History magazine. We're the UK's best-selling history magazine available in print and several digital formats all over the world. Find out more at historyextra.com forward slash subscribe or look out for us in your digital newsstand or app store. Hello and welcome to the History Extra podcast. I'm Rob Attar, the editor of BBC History magazine. In today's episode, you're going to hear from the acclaimed historical novelist Sarah Junant, who's the presenter of the monthly BBC Radio 4 series, when Greeks flew kites. The series delves back into history to find examples from the past that might illuminate present-day concerns. Issues such as debt, intergenerational divide and sexual harassment. The last episode of the first series, which is also available as a podcast, is due to air this Sunday. And in advance of that, I spoke to Sarah about the making of When Greeks Flew Kites and some of the questions that arise from using the past to shed light on the present. 
I wonder if we could start with the, the title itself. So it's a Henry Ford quote, I believe, talking actually about the unimportance of history. So why did this line appeal to you? I think what we wanted was a title that once you'd heard it, you wouldn't forget it. And if you did pursue it, you'd discover that there were many people in history who actually thought history was irrelevant. And so in some ways, the title was deliberately provocative. Um, And in fact, throughout the all of the episodes, we haven't mentioned Henry Ford. But I think what it's done is to get people thinking, hmm, I don't know what that programme is, but once I've heard the title, When Greeks Flew Kites, and once I've discovered it's about history, I won't forget it easily. And of course, in the world that we live in, where everything is so cluttered and crowded, what you want is to worm your way into people's minds so they remember who you are and come back to you. And so how far do you think, aside from what Henry Ford said, how far do you think that history actually can help illuminate current concerns? Well, there's all kinds of quotes about history, and most of them are discovered to be apocryphal at some point. And there's one really helpful quote here, I think, which people do contest was not by Mark Twain, but it runs like this, which is, history doesn't repeat itself, but it sometimes rhymes. And I think what our aim was to do was to say that in the moment that we're living in, when certain things are thrown up that makes us feel anxious, be it about the brinkmanship of worrying that war may break out between two sides who don't understand each other, or the fears we have about an elderly population and what we'll do about it, or what happens when women start to speak out. So I'm elucidating things we've done in the programme, which have picked up an anxiety in the air. We may not be able to say history will give you the answer, but we will be able to say if you go back in history, you will find moments that ring bells, that touch the nerve, that fearing that you're growing old, that having women speaking about what they can't get and suddenly being frustrated and wanting to make their voice heard. When negotiation is important, but you are not sure how to do it in a way which will get you what you want without undermining your position. All of these things have happened in history to other people. And if you can tell those stories, and the word story is really important to me because, of course, I come to this both as a historian and a novelist. If you can tell those stories in a way which sink people into the moment in history, then they can actually find things that will resonate with them in the present. Or that's what we planned to do when we started to make the series. And would you then go so far as to say you can draw lessons from history? No, I think that would be very didactic. I think what you can say is that when you're faced with difficult moments, you somehow have to look at what your own position is and the the soil that your moment in history grows out of. But I also think that history has another purpose altogether, which is that it is almost an imaginative workout for modern human beings. If I were to say to you, And for instance, we are making a programme this very Saturday about what happens when young people, and obviously this jumps out of the Parkland shooting in America, what happens when really young people make a stand and try and take on the authority and culture which is above them, that I could say to you, well, for instance, let me take you back to a time when Christianity is first having an impact in the Roman world. And lots of young women, for instance, stand out against marriage because they believe that virginity is most important. And the impact that has on the Roman state, which is a bit like the impact that American children are having on American culture and gun laws, is, oh my God, but marriage is at the very centre of how we perceive the state to be run. And so suddenly you imagine what it was like in the past when something similar 
clearly not identical, but when something similar took place. And so two things happen in that, I would hope. First of all, you are sunk into another moment of history. Oh, how interesting. One of the reasons history is so fascinating is because the stories are so rich. People are so different. You have to imagine yourself in their moment, in their time. But then also you can draw from that some version of, ah, so are my prejudices this? Where did I think that from? And that will give you a kind of clarity and hopefully a slightly new view on what's happening in the present. And you mentioned there a really interesting example of something that happened in the past that, that has some relevance to something that happened today. And some of the examples you draw in this series can be quite surprising, maybe not things that you'd automatically think of. So I wonder how you and your production team went about selecting the historical examples you'd focus on. I think that there was something else that was really important in our minds, right? Which is history is an extremely rich discipline. And we are living in a moment when the humanities is quite under threat. And all of us working on this program believe passionately in history because it does give you context and it does give you perspective. But also history is not a single unchanging thing. The past is always being redefined depending on the questions that contemporary historians ask it. And I, in my own lifetime, have certainly lived through a genuine revolution in the questions we ask about the past, not least to do with race and the position of women. So we went into this series saying, let's avoid the obvious examples. Let's go into the universities. Let's talk to scholars about the new work that's being done. And let's see how far we can find the stories that, in a sense, are red hot in the discipline at the moment. So, for instance, if I take on that example that we're doing for our episode this Sunday, when we're looking at the effect of children and how children have an impact on authority about them. We have dug out a story that's being done by uh, an American academic who's looking at the impact of the French during the 17th century who were trying to get trading missions operating in the Ottoman Empire. And because they just, they thought that children were a very good way of absorbing language early, they sent out a lot of French children into Turkish cities in order that they should learn the language and start trying to talk to the Turkish merchants. And what happens is the children go out, are whole group of them, the age of 12 to 17, they learn the language very fast, they start talking to the merchants very fast, and they discover that the way the adults are doing it is not working. And that's partly because the adults are coming in as authority and French. So they come in and start going a little native. They change the way they dress. They won't wear military uniform. They drink coffee with the natives. They start a school where they're teaching English and the authorities go mad. No, no, you can't do this. You can't do this. You're just children. And they say, look at the results on the ground. We may be just children, but we're getting somewhere where you couldn't get. Now, I had never heard that story before. It's a fantastically rich story. You find yourself imagining these 13 and 14-year-olds in military dress, taking off their trousers and putting on Turkish trousers and uh, sitting there in cafes with young Turkish merchants. And you get a completely different version of history. And once again, I'm returning to the idea that as a novelist, I love the way that history takes you imaginatively into the past. So part of what we want to do is say, imagine this, 
be with these young children, think about what it would have been like, and then I'll draw back and discuss what the issues are. We'll analyse it, but first of all, we can live it and then analyse it. And the secret of that is all of this history that we're discovering is really quite new. We're at the cutting edge of what historians are doing. And the example you just mentioned also speaks to another aspect of the series, which is it's not just looking back at the past at things that have happened that might um, illuminate what's happening now, but also looking at different places and seeing how very similar events potentially happening all over the world. Is that something that you consciously have been trying to do? Well, of course we have. I mean, we're only a team of three people. So there's a limit to how our tentacles can go out through world history over time. But we certainly don't mean it to be Eurocentric in the same way that all history has changed to be much more interested in the global impact of history everywhere. So we are always looking for the stories that we didn't expect. You know, we did a story on negotiation, given our anxiety about the Brexit negotiations. And one of the rich the richest examples in that programme we found was the history of a series of treaties that was negotiated between the Allied powers in their different forms and China throughout the 19th century for the Allied powers to get the best out of trade. And they were continually humiliating the Chinese. And what we discovered as a result of that, indeed, we went in via the Boxer Rebellion, when there is actually a rebellion among the Chinese and they besiege and kill a number of missionaries. What we discovered is that series of treaties over that hundred years has had an immense impact on how China sees herself in the world. It had an impact on how the nationalists in the 1920s made their cause popular, and it's had an impact on the way successive communist governments in China have told the story of China back to its people. So it showed you in great detail and in great colour how history echoes. I'm going back to the it doesn't repeat but it rhymes. And that was about global power. And that was about the impact of global power now. We couldn't have done that story anywhere else but understanding China. And of course, if you throw that back, when you look at the negotiations with Brexit, what you're saying is, how do we do this in a way which is not humiliating? How do we do this in a way which both sides manage to come out with dignity intact? Because unless you do that, you will store up enormous trouble for yourself in the future. And that was a really revelation the whole episode was really interesting for us, but that Chinese story in particular, I think, was really fascinating. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We don't always realize just how much our negative thoughts and experiences stick with us and weigh us down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mum does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down 
and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash history extra today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash history extra. And does your series have anything to say, do you think, about the idea of progress in the sense that if we can keep finding examples of maybe the problems or the achievements of recent times in the past, does that mean that humanity isn't really progressing or does it just mean that's not the way to understand it? Well, that's a really small question, if you don't mind me asking it, Um, because, of course, what it does is it challenges the whole, if you like, history of history, historiography, you know, how much of history was the idea that we are getting better and specifically that, in a sense, kind of we, the British, are getting better as we move through our own history. And I think in many ways, lots of that has been challenged and that's part of what historians' job is, you know. It's not that simple. We do have to look more deeply. I think it depends what you are looking at. I think you could argue that the history of democracy, far from being an inevitable move from uh, no agency of the people to complete agency of the people, has taken some big swerves as we go and is going through those swerves at the moment. My God, you know, this present series comes to an end this month. I know what we'd be doing next month. We'd be doing about data and democracy and politics. I mean, that's a huge other area. Um, I do think that we're partly asking people to go back and imagine what it was like to have the ideals and beliefs of the time. So you don't just immediately go back and say, this doesn't seem liberal to us, therefore we condemn it. It's partly about saying... This may not seem liberal to you, but if you had been born in this moment and come from the soil of this culture, can you understand how this grew out of it? And I think that is a really important thing for us to do whatever moment of history we come from. I myself personally, well, I'm not tremendously optimistic about the notion of progress when it comes to history. But of course, we are living in a very particularly anxious time, which is not just about politics, it's also about the environment. It's also about a number of forces. But, but, I, but I hold my silence on that. Uh, what I do is to go to history to help to illuminate me rather than to push my ideas because that would not be the work of a good presenter. And it's interesting what you just said then about living in a particularly anxious time, spending a lot of time looking back at past crises and past um, moments of great drama. But do you think that this moment we're living in right now is something that people will be studying in the future and is a time of, of great change potentially? Yes, I absolutely do. And I'll give you one very concrete example of that, which will be in the programme that we're doing this week, when, as a result of looking at those Parkland students, I went deep into the Twitter feeds of all those children from that school because they are having an extremely long and detailed and intelligent and passionate conversation with themselves through social media. And I was thinking a lot about the fact that in the future, if we are going to make sense of this moment, uh, historians will not be looking at documents in the way they did. Historians will have to, whatever we think of its destructive possibilities, be looking at social media, because it is only through the study of social media that we will get the first-hand 
clarity and excitement of what is going on at this historical moment. So I do think we're in a very different moment. I do think the work of historians will be very different. And I do think by nature that we can only give you so much wisdom about the present, because the whole point about history is that it needs some distance from the moment in order to put it in context. And so what we're doing is suggesting that with distance, you can perhaps have a clarity in you can perhaps ask different questions. But also, and I, I, I keep coming back to it, that essentially, you know, what is great about, and particularly radio when it comes to history, is you ask the listener to do the imaginative work of placing themselves in the past. You know, I'm going to be very cocky here and say that whenever you see history done on television, particularly with reconstructions, it just does not allow you the imaginative room to enter difference and enter how strange it would have been. Whereas as a storyteller, I think I can do that with radio behind me. Radio is a fantastic medium for making you imagine. Radio is a fantastic medium for allowing you to stand back and analyse. Radio is a fantastic medium for thinking because you don't always have to be banging at home with pictures. And it's why I have always thought that it is a great medium to tell history from. And it's why I've been so delighted and passionate about doing this programme when Greeks flew kites. And actually, on, on that topic, I was, I'd be interested to know what you see as the secrets to making really successful history programming on the radio. I think you have to have a very open mind. I think you have to go searching high and wide for examples or moments in the past which are not familiar. For instance, throughout the nine episodes of this current series, I really don't think, except as a backswipe, we've mentioned Henry VIII or his wives. Do you see what I mean? That we, we deliberately go for something that perhaps a British and even a world audience will not have heard before, that history is infinitely richer than the kind of narrow line that is often put forward because it seems to be the most popular. And then I think that you can use first-hand sources, you can play with them, you can dramatise bits of moments in the past. You know, we'll, we will begin this next episode by looking at a young person who made an incredible difference at her moment in history by quoting a couple of lines from Joan of Arc's trial. Now, we won't use Joan much in the rest of the programme, but as a way back into history, we can bring to life a young woman talking to adult authorities. We can hear the tone. And I think radio is very good at that. So we've often used actors, but we haven't just used them out there reading something. They sit in the studio with me and I read a bit of a script and I pull them in and we try and get them to be part of the imaginative experience. So I have no doubt that radio is an incredibly rich way of making good history programmes. But I think you have to be continually testing the boundaries. How can we do this differently? How can we use music? Um, we're doing something about Honolulu this week and we found a, a song composed by the last queen of Honolulu before the Americans took over. And so it's pushing you back in all kinds of ways orally. And there's nothing like history for that experience. Just one last question. You've already mentioned a few of the examples that you, you cover in the series, but were there any stories that you found or discovered that have really stuck with you through making these nine episodes? 
One of the things that we try and do, and it's sometimes difficult to square the circle, is to make stories from the past have an impact on the present, even though they're very different. So we made a program about speaking out in November, around the time just after the Harvey Weinstein revelations were hitting. And we asked ourselves, at what moments in history have women spoken out about male behaviour? Now, You mentioned earlier, is history a straight line? Well, no, it isn't. Women's position was very different in the past. They can't always have been getting up and saying, we're equal to men and this is how we're going to express it. But we did come across a story about the impact of the temperance movements, particularly in America, where women went after men because of what too much drinking to them. Now, essentially, they weren't saying, we want to be equal to you. Essentially, they were saying, your behavior when you drink means that there's domestic violence. It means that you don't bring money into the home. We need you back being responsible men. And in order to get you back, we will launch, and it was, a nationwide movement that caught the imagination of a new newspaper press. So that's a new technology at the moment. And women went marching on the streets and did things like went up to saloon keepers and said, if you close this saloon, we promise you that all the women in this town will buy fish from you if you become a fishmonger instead. So you were looking at this moment where women had fantastic power and yet it wasn't power which we would see today as making women equal. So it wasn't revolution, but their methods were quite revolutionary and underneath you could see it was women starting to feel their power and indeed the temperance movement does develop into the early suffragette movement. Now, I hadn't put those things together before we did Speaking Out and before we did the temperance movement. So, and maybe this is the other way in which I judge whether or not the program's working or not, I learned something. <laughs> me as a presenter, me as a historian, I learned something from the making of it. And I, and I hope that level of kind of, oh, excitement, I didn't know this, how about this, guys, is also coming over. So that was Sarah Junant. And as I mentioned earlier... The final episode of Series 1 of When Greeks Flew Kites will air this Sunday, the 25th of March, on BBC Radio 4 at 1.30pm. Meanwhile, the podcast of the series is available to download across the globe. And on the subject of BBC podcasts, I should mention that a podcast series has been produced to accompany the major art history TV series, Civilizations. So far, three episodes have been released and you should be able to download the Civilizations podcast from your usual podcast supplier. Now, just before we go, I'd also like to mention that tickets are currently on sale for our next BBC History magazine event, which is a biotapestry-themed day taking place in Oxford on the 17th of June. You can find more details and purchase tickets at historyextra.com forward slash events. OK, so that's about all for today, but please do listen in on Monday for the fascinating story of a German diarist who lived through the Nazi era. Thanks for listening to this History Extra podcast, which was produced by Jack Fletcher. Do let us know what you think about this episode by emailing podcast at historyextra.com and we might read out your messages in future editions. Alternatively, why not keep in touch via Twitter or Facebook, where you'll find us at History Extra. For more great history content, don't forget to visit our website, historyextra.com, which is full of history articles, quizzes, image galleries and more. 
Plus, it's where you can download hundreds of previous episodes of this podcast. A collision between a Chinese jet and an American spy plane. He came and rammed into our left wing. With relations increasingly strained, what are the chances of things spinning out of control? The Western world was asleep. I'm Gordon Carrera. I'll be exploring the friction in this most important of relationships and asking, has the West taken its eye off the ball? You cannot ignore China. From BBC Radio 4, this is Shadow War, China and the West. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.